0: Hi, everybody. I'm Christy, and we're going to read the Bible together now. Um, so, our first reading is Psalm 2, which, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, is page 532. Give you a second to get there. That's 532. And this is Psalm 2, starting at verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore you kings, be wise, be warned you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
1: The the second Bible reading tonight is from Mark. Uh, It's on page 990 if you're looking at the Pew Bibles. Otherwise, go for about two-thirds of the way through. Second book of the New Testament. So we're... Chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And And this was his message... After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him.
2: in mark is a message it's a message to get ready prepare get ready get ready for this great great news you're going to need a bible mark chapter one is where we're at this is the beginning of so many things this is the beginning of a 25 week sermon series as we work through this portrait of jesus this gospel of mark This is the beginning of a narrative, which is a message about a man. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus. Gospel is a word that means good news. Uh, in In the time it was written, usually great news about a king. The word Christ is a word that means an anointed one. One who will be king. This is great news about a person. Jesus, who is a king. Not just any king, but as verse 1 puts it, Jesus, the king, the son of God. I'm going to pray for us that tonight and all the Sundays between now and Easter would be a great blessing to us as we see Jesus more and more clearly. Please pray with me. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Uh, You speak so that we can hear. And we pray tonight that you would help us to listen to your word. Uh, We pray especially that as we uh, hear from Mark uh, over the next few months, that you would sharpen our view of Jesus, that we might see him as he really is, uh, as your king, as your son, as the one that you've appointed. Uh, We pray that you would help us to put our faith in him, And to follow him as we should. Amen. I love, I love this gospel of Mark. It's great because it's like this. Let's get going. It's not John's gospel. You know, John, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Like it's, it's great. If you like Greek philosophy and allusions to Genesis chapter one in the beginning. I love Matthew's gospel. You get, well, you get the phone book, really. The Jewish phone book. Descended from this, descended from that. It's, it's good. It puts Jesus in his place as the one who was promised. And, you know, I, I love Luke. Luke starts going, you can trust this. I've looked into it. It's absolutely trustworthy. You can be certain of what you've been taught. But Mark, straight to the point. This is about Jesus and it's good news. I'm going to say that a lot tonight, so just get used to it. This is good news. It's not the end, by the way. Notice what Mark does right at the start. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. Uh, we, We know that we're reading a book that has 16 chapters. It's got an end. And from the very beginning, the end is in mind. From the very beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, Jesus' death looms like a shadow over the whole narrative. You're going to see in a minute that the Christ, God's anointed king who'd been promised in the Old Testament, is a king who reigns, but Mark shows us that he's also one who was promised as a servant who would suffer. A servant who would suffer from the very beginning. Mark makes it clear that Jesus is here to ransom, to purchase a people for himself by his death on the cross for sin. Uh, The first 13 verses that we're looking at tonight, Mark 1, 1 to 13, really involve John the Baptist and a little bit of Jesus. John the Baptist and a little bit of Jesus. Just to, to let you know how we're going to work through it, we're going to talk a little bit about the quote from Isaiah. I'm going to show you about the baptism We'll see how the Holy Spirit in verse 8 is a link into what happens with John and Jesus. And then we're going to think about what it means for Jesus to be tempted and to respond to him as our king. So one of the things about Mark is that's pretty black and white. It's pretty black and white. You can read the story of Mark knowing nothing about the rest of the Bible. And Jesus is presented clearly. It's Mark's style, the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Christ the Son of God. It's there, not hidden. It's black and white. But as well as being in black and white, what Mark does is draws for us this great colourful background of the Old Testament promises that put Jesus into relief as the one who is the fulfilment of God's great plan to save a people who are his very own. Even though they keep turning away from him, God will welcome them back Through Jesus. And so, verse 2, it's written. It's written in Isaiah the promise, Isaiah the prophet, I'll send a messenger who'll prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Well, you've heard it already. Prepare the way for the Lord. Get ready. What do you do to get ready for Jesus? Well, John will show us in a minute. But I want you to notice the start of verse 4. When it is written a messenger will come, you know what happens? A messenger comes. You're meant to get the point that when God promises something, it happens. It's not a big deal, no fuss made about it, but it's just a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. When it is written in the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible, in the words to God's people, when God speaks words of promise, they come true. See, the gospel... The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ is a word to us as well. And it asks us the question, do I believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is a king? Do you believe that Jesus is a son of God? I think part of what Mark is doing in showing that all these promises that have been made hundreds and thousands of years ago are true in Jesus is to teach us that God can be kept at his word. He keeps his word. It's written in Isaiah, and so John came. Have a look at verse 4 and see what John's message was. He came doing something and saying something. What he was doing is baptizing, and what he was saying is repent and have your sin forgiven. Verse 4 So John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, kind of old school Christian jargon, isn't it? It just means turn around. If you've been ignoring God, not treating him like the God that he is, who made you and breathes life into you every day, turn around and face him. Repent means turn back to God. And the message is for the forgiveness of sins. Don't know where you're at with Jesus. Just want to say, from the very beginning, the main thing that Jesus is on about is restoring a broken relationship with god i can't see where you're at with god just by looking at your face you all seem lovely and attractive but one of the realities of being human is that we are broken broken on a deep deep level and god has come in the person of his son to bring the forgiveness of sin that's john's message get ready for jesus get ready uh, the people went out to John, verse 5. Uh, what they did, they, they confessed their sins like he told them to and they were baptised in the Jordan River. Now, sometimes in church we do baptisms. There's a big stone thing up the back. You probably rested your teacup on it during supper. Uh, it's called a font or a fount, depending on whether you like the letter U. We put a little bit of water in it and we splash it on babies sometimes. But this is, that's not the baptism that John was doing. John was doing the whole body in the water. Now, baptism does two things for us it reminds us of two big truths. It's a symbol of washing away of sin. And it's a symbol of new life that comes by faith in Jesus. So if you were there watching John baptise people in a, let's face it, kind of dirty river, uh, you would have seen this. Someone going down into the water and that water symbolising the washing away of sin and, and then coming up out of the water and taking a, a new breath. Um, our... Our regional bishop is a guy called Rob Forsyth. And I've heard Rob talk about when he baptizes uh, adults in the water, he he likes to keep his hand on their head underwater for just a fraction longer than he's comfortable. (laughs) So that that when you take that first breath, it's like, (gasps) new life, I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive. See, because baptism points us to the reality of True new life in Jesus. And that was John's message. Someone is coming. Get ready, turn to God and have your sin forgiven. Now, if you look at verse 6, you wonder why it's there. What was John like? Well, John wore a clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, you're reading through Mark's gospel. You've got five verses, action-packed, if you skipped verse 6 and went on to verse 7, really it makes no difference at all. Except if you read 2 Kings chapter 1 about Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah was one of the kind of kick-buttingest prophets from the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha are like these powerhouses, messengers from God doing amazing signs to show that God really was the God of Israel. And Elijah is described in his one-line description. He wore a coat made of hair and a leather belt. Mark is putting verse 6 there to show you that John the Baptist, out in the desert, just like the greatest prophet you've ever heard of, is really from God. There's no messing around here. He's serious about his practice and he's serious about his message. What was his message? It's there in verse 7, in case you missed it before. Essentially, it summarized as this. Don't look at moi. Don't look at me. Wait for the one who's coming. Verse 7, this is his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. That is a messy job when you live near a desert. It's not the the kind of going out thongs that you wear around Newtown that don't get that dirty. No, it's a messy job. John is saying I'm nothing compared to the one who's coming after. Look at the contrast he makes in verse 8. I baptize you with water. We can see you doing that. But the one who's coming will do something that you can't see in the same way. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What? No one's told me about baptism with the Holy Spirit. Even if I've read the whole Bible from Genesis to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Baptism baptism with the Holy Spirit? This is a new idea. What does it look like? Well, thankfully, that's kind of what gets explained as it happens to Jesus. See, as Mark introduces Jesus, the first thing that happens to him is a display that God is with him, that Jesus is one of God's, not just anyone, but one beloved by God. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is a sign that God is with you in every way, not just near you, next to you, in the vicinity of you, but in you, working in you for his purpose. So verse 9. At that time, Jesus came to John from Nazareth and was baptized in the same river. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, And the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, I've got all sorts of questions about that verse. What did he see? What did he see when he saw heaven torn open? I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus had come from heaven. Philippians 2 makes it perfectly clear that Jesus, who was with the Father, chose to be born as one of us, made himself nothing, being made in the nature of a servant, So when Jesus comes out of the water, he looks up, sees heaven open. Somehow the spirit comes down. Was it like a ghosty dove? Was it like a, I don't know, was it a real dove? I don't know. All I know is what it says. The spirit descends on him like a dove and a voice comes from heaven. Thankfully, we don't just get the image. God is a God who speaks. And God says, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Like I said, Mark is black and white. You can read this just as a quote that God says, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And it's good news. It's clear this is good news for Jesus, that God is declaring him to be his own son. But can I get you to flick back to Psalm 2 with me? Uh, it was the, the verse, that, the chapter that Christy read out for us. Psalm 2 is on page 532, if you've got one of these lovely brown Bibles. The point that mark is making by quoting psalm 2 what god is saying as he declares jesus to be his son is not just not just that he likes him that's made pretty clear you're my son whom i love now this is a quote saying that jesus is a king see psalm 2 is the the psalm that well right at the very front of the psalms talks about how god installs his king It was a psalm for David, the greatest king of Israel. It was a psalm for Solomon, his son. It was a psalm for all the kings of Israel. They were personified by this. See verse 7 in Psalm 2, page 532. I'll proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, the king can say this. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Each earthly king could say when he, when he became the one who represented Israel, God's own people. God said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. For them, it was a new thing as they became the king, as they were anointed, as they were installed. For Jesus, this is who he already is. And yet he walks this journey And it demonstrates to those who can hear the voice that Jesus is God's king, the Messiah. If you flick back to Mark chapter 1, the voice from heaven is not just consolation to Jesus as he starts his ministry. It's not just knowledge for Jesus that he's loved by God. It's a promise for all of those who find themselves in Jesus' place. Galatians chapter 3, later in the New Testament, talks about this, that everyone who has faith in Jesus is declared by God to be a son of God, even if you're a girl. You can be a son of God, not that you suddenly get transformed into a bloke, ugh, but, but that you have the rights of a son. You are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 26. This means that you can call God your father no matter how ordinary your earthly father may or may not have been. By faith in Jesus, you are included into a place where the sovereign Lord of all the earth is your father. Beloved by him. That's good news. By faith, all who are included in Jesus have the same pronouncement. You are my son. With you, I am well pleased. I suspect that if God said to you, you're my son. With you, I'm well pleased. You may squirm a little inside. There's a part of you like, there's a part of me that thinks... How can you really be pleased with me? How can you really say, with you I'm well pleased? I'm oh, fine for Jesus. Your perfect son, the one who lived obediently always, trusted you like he should, loved others like he was called to. But I'm not like that. The last couple of verses of mark that we're looking at tonight verses 12 and 13 are the picture of jesus being tempted you see what they have in common with what's gone before that the spirit the spirit that descended on jesus the spirit of sonship has a purpose of empowering jesus to be what god's people could never be I say that again because it matters the Spirit empowers Jesus to be who God's people Israel could never be. It's no accident that Jesus was in the desert 40 days. It's meant to remind you, as the black and white draws back to the colour backdrop of Exodus, where God saved his people out of slavery and put them into the desert, where at once they rebelled against him and he made the march round in circles for 40 years. Trusting in him to provide for them day by day, bread and birds. In verse 13, as Jesus was in the desert, 40 days being tempted by Satan. He is alone, just with the wild animals, and only God is with him. Only God is sustaining him. This is the beginning of the good news for us, that there is one man, Jesus, who, although he is a king, knows what it is to be tempted. When we are tempted to to turn away from God's good plan for us, when when we're tempted to not be the people we could or should be, we know what it is to give in. Jesus knows that temptation and yet, In him we have a king, we have a servant who suffers, and by the power of the Spirit who has been without fault. This is good news for people like you and me. We know that when we're tempted, God knows what it's like, but also we have one who stands in our place before God. This is our king who is without sin. So when we hear the voice from heaven declaring to Jesus, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, that bit of us that squirms inside, the bit that says you couldn't possibly ever say that to me, well, that voice is right. No matter how much we pretend, we have fallen short of God's perfection in the way that we've treated him as our creator and sustainer, in the way that we've treated the people around us. We fail to be people of whom it can be said, with you I am well pleased. And so it's good news. It's very good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who by the power of the Holy Spirit redeems us, purchases us, ransoms us from the power of sin and shows us that we can be included in the people of God. I want to finish tonight by asking you, what do you do with good news? What do you do with good news? Now, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Sydney got the Olympic Games, not in a kind of Whitlam's kind of way, oh no, we've got the Olympic Games, but that announcement in whenever it was, before 2000, it was early in the morning. I remember switching on the TV in the morning and the then Premier of New South Wales, who I think had a big chin, but I can't remember his name, just picture of... One Antonio Samaraj saying, and the winner is Sidani. And just people going So, Yeah, we're going to the Olympic What do you do with good news? You kind of jump up and down about it. Now, we're Australians. not really into the whole jumping up and down about too many things. What do you do with good news? I mean, you Facebook it, right? You, you share the news. You, you can't help but glory in the great news. Like news of people's engagement. You want to just go, have you heard? Have you heard? What do you do with the good news of Jesus? It's my suspicion that if you've been a Christian for a while, you may have just forgotten how good news this is, how good the good news is. Uh, When I was doing science at Sydney Uni uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of years, you know, I did that psychology one lecture where you play games with your eyes and you, you make the rods and cones in your eyes get tired. You look at something green for ages, then you look at white paper. It's not white anymore. Ooh. What's the point? When you see something all the time, you just get used to it. It's the terror of blessing of God that you forget that God has been very good to us. You just think this is normal. No. The fact that God has sent his son to die for us, to call us into his family. This is good news. We have done nothing to deserve this blessing of God. Are you a Christian? Rejoice. This is good news. If you're not a Christian, still good news. And it's good news that's available for you by faith in Jesus. Hear the words of John the Baptist. Turn back to God. Have your sin forgiven. Don't wait. There's much more to say. I wish I could preach on verse 14 and 15 tonight. But I think it's time to pause and just remember that this is the beginning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus. The Christ, the anointed king, the son of God. Are we going to sing a song in a minute that reminds us of the kingship of Jesus? I want to finish by challenging us to treat Jesus as the king that he is. This is not just good news that bears repeating. This is good news that bears reliving. See, if Jesus is a king, it's appropriate that we treat him as such. Now, we live in a kingdom, kind of. We've got a queen, but no one really pays attention to her except for heads and tails. Jesus is not a king like that. Jesus is a king who demands allegiance and deserves it. Jesus is a king who's shown us how he wants us to live. As we go through Mark, we're going to be challenged in a variety of ways with the way that we speak, the way that we use our wealth, the way that we consider others, the way we respond to God. I just want to flag at the very beginning there's no pretense here. Jesus is a king and demands allegiance. If you're not living as a Christian the way that you should, if the king is calling you to obedience and you're being slack about it, turn back to God, receive the forgiveness that's yours in Jesus and treat Jesus like a king. I'm sure he's earned it. I'm going to pray for us And we're going to sing about this king. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that uh, the words of your promises are true. Thank you for the psalmist and for Isaiah, uh, for the promise of John the Baptist and for his message, for the baptism that he performed that points us to Jesus. We pray that you would help us uh, to hear the message of this good news that's declared about Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see him afresh We pray that you would help us to respond to Jesus as our king, as the one who suffers and dies on our behalf. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn to you in faith. We thank you that you love your children. And we pray that you would help us to live in a way that honors you. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.